Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. They wanted us on there for entertainment value. And we weren't looking for investors that sounded antithetical to what we were trying to do, but the marketing aspect of it was amazing. Hey, my name is Felix. I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each week, we learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn what is it like to hire someone to run your business, why introduce a $1 tier to a crowdfunding campaign, and why create a knockoff of your product to protect your brand. Today, I'm joined by Lauren Krakowskis from FreakerUSA.com. That's F-R-E-A-K-E-R-U-S-A.com. Freaker is the one-size-fits-all knit koozie that functionally makes your beverage feel special and was started in 2011 and based out of Wilmington, North Carolina. Welcome, Lauren. Hi, how are you? I'm good. So yeah, tell us a bit more about this uh, this product that you sell. So yeah, Freakers are amazing. They're super fun. Um, they are, they're one size fits all. Like you said, they're knit bottle insulators. So it's kind of like a koozie, but we kind of think of it as the, the word koozie as a, a curse word. And it mm. makes us shudder. Well, just, just because we're trying to, you know, separate ourselves from a product that you get for free at a trade show. Right. Um, but we also make socks and they all have like really weirdo, wacky designs. There's something for everybody. So it's not just, you know, the... Fifty Shades of Nay with a, a horse and a blindfold. There's also, you know, NFL players and colleges and all of that jazz. So we're like pretty, pretty set in the gift market, and everything we sell is under twenty dollars. Where did this idea come from? Like, where did this idea to, like, you're saying these are products that you typically would get for free? I want to talk a little bit later about how you message and you brand away from that that image. Uh, but what 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 gave uh, you guys the idea to start a company like this? So I was living with Zach, who's the CEO and the other other co-founder, um, and he's a colorful and untraditional character. He has not, cannot, and probably will never work for somebody else. Um, he, like he assumed, and we all assumed too, that he was going to end up homeless, and like we had all accepted that. But he was my roommate at the time, and he had come up with this the the concept for the product. Um, and it slowly evolves through the time to get where it is today. But like you know, he had the concept down. Uh, before we started a company of just like a one size fits all knit beverage insulator that you can put some weirdo designs on. Did you, so your, your roommate came up with this idea or he had this uh, crazy personality, had this idea. Did you have any entrepreneurial business experience like either of you guys? Oh, absolutely not. Like nobody that started this business. There was four co-founders in the beginning and nobody had any idea what was happening in the business realm. Like we were all just artists and weirdos. Um, Zach, again, like, you know, he was the, uh, borderline homeless guy with just some like weird tendencies. Um, I had a, I just gotten done in Boston, finishing up an international affairs degree. Like I was hoping to save the world from tyranny and the impending doom that we all feel all the time. <laughs> um, but you know, I had just gotten a job in Korea, but through the messiness of life, I found myself in North Carolina by accident. So before I was in e-commerce, I was just in coffee shops in denial. Um, there was also a filmmaker that was a co-founder and a graphic designer. So we didn't have any background in like how the world of trade worked. So how did you guys pull all this together then? Like, because you sounds like none of you guys had backgrounds. You almost seemed like you guys were doing totally different things in life, different stages in life. How did you guys pull this all together? You know, I think that if we weren't so naive, we never would have. 
Mm. We were just like, it'll be great. We're just like a group of friends, like trying to work on a project. Like we didn't consider it like this is the beginning of our lifelong career where we're going to become entrepreneurs and take over the world. It was more like, um, I just kind of want to make paper mache worlds in the back room of this dinky office and figure out a way to pay myself a livable situation. And, you know, if it, like something comes out of it, great. So we started this business with a group of creatives that kind of just wanted to have fun. And that turned into a marketing scheme. We had no idea that like this is how like actual actual companies start. And mm-hmm. who knows if they were before like the age of Kickstarter and the age of crowdsourcing and you know social media support and you know networking on the internet. Like I don't know if this was a way that you could have started a business before that. Um, maybe I wouldn't know if I had a business degree, but I don't. So. Like, this is, like, the creatives coming together just to, like, work on something. It turned out for a beautiful, wonderful, like, business based in, you know, happiness and trying to take care of each other. So you mentioned that there were a group of creatives. Was there other people outside of the initial founding four that were involved early on? Um, we always had, like, friends to help out with projects here and there, but there was no investors. Like, we did, again, we did a Kickstarter for our original funding um, we did everything just like internet based. We didn't have any like, you know, white dudes in suits telling us what the best strategy would be. We had nothing like that. So, I mean, and looking back on it, I'm really happy for that, like forging our own path and figuring it out in untraditional ways um, has got us to where we are now, which is a really comfortable, happy place. So it worked out great. Yeah. So when you did you before the Kickstarter campaign, were you guys selling any of these? Did you guys have products that were already selling at the time? Um, Zach had dabbled in it. Like he was trying to figure out how to do it, which is why he, like he'd, I think he'd gone to a trade show before we founded Freaker USA as a company. Um, and like his experience with like the actual world of gift markets and retail and how this whole like segment of society works, like his experience with that was like, well, I need a team of creative. So that's when he like got all of us together and it was mainly a, you know, he wanted a good brand and marketing strategy that wasn't necessarily like laid out like a strategy. Like to this day, we still don't have a business plan. So like it's pretty free form, loose flowing. Um, but he realized that like, if we're going to sell this product that, you know, most people think of a koozie as, you know, just this promotional item that's a throwaway garbage. So if we were going to get beyond that stereotype of the product that we're, you know, most related to, we're not, I mean, there's a lot of um, manufacturing differences with what we do, but you know, like to get across, get past this um, stereotype of a koozie, like we would need a strong brand of colorful, you know, fun. And that's, that was the beginning um, catalyst for why we came together. So I think you, you and your founding team are in a position that a lot of uh, listeners are in too, which are passionate people that are, are creatives, that are artists, and they just want to continue doing their craft the rest of their lives. But, you know, of course, there's rent, there's bills to pay. So they, they start thinking, okay, how can I turn my passion, my art into a business? Uh, what, what tips do you have the, to, to, to give, I guess, to, to people that are in that situation where they don't have a business background, they've never started a business before, similar situation that you guys were in? What, what steps can they, can they take to try to set up their, their arts, their craft, their, their passion into a business? Yeah. Um, I have nothing but encouraging words. Like you live in the right time to have no experience and then still be successful. Um, it, I mean, so the age of the internet and like starting an enterprise, like it's a phenomenal age for this because you know, like you have Etsy for like starters, you have 
so you have Linda. Linda is this online course. Um, oh, it's like an online database of mm-hmm. just learning everything that you could possibly ever want to know about, like how to profit off of your own creativity. Um, like the tools are there. They're they're there for you, and they're generally free. Like we had no idea, and we were we found out about Kickstarter in early 2011. We're like I don't know, let's just try it out, and then 60 grand later, we have a business. Um, so I wouldn't be discouraged if you're a creative mm-hmm. that wants to figure out how to profit off of this. Like you don't need experience at this point in time. Like the, the old traditional way of like making a business plan, finding an investor, like it's almost irrelevant at this point. Like you can still obviously go down that path if you'd like, but it's so many more doors are open to you if you don't have it. And something else I would tell them is like, don't focus on the money immediately. Like we didn't pay ourselves a normal wage for the first three years. And that's so normal, but you have to understand that you're doing what you love and you're working towards a goal to like have a sustainable uh, lifestyle for yourself based off of what you love. And you know, it's definitely always worth it. Like having a business is a lot like having a baby and I don't have children. Nobody, you know, nobody in this business has children, but you know, it's always that thing where just like a baby, you have to care for a business and feed it and make sure it doesn't die and like the whole thing. And it's all a struggle, but it's all so rewarding, which is, you know, people that do have children, they allegedly say it's rewarding. (laughs) So I'm assuming it's the same concept and it's, you know, you watch it grow and you're really proud of it and you're so much part of its life and it's part of your life. And, you know, it's a really enriching experience. And if you can figure out a way for your passion and creativity and like what you enjoy doing, if that can sail you through the rest of your life like you have figured it out it's great yeah i don't have children either uh, but i'm gonna make we're gonna make a lot of um parent new parents uh, angry in this topic but i want to ask though i think with, with i think with raising children though there is kind of um i want to say a blueprint but you know there's seven billion people in the world so it's been done over and over again but with a business there is kind of no no blueprint along the way how did you guys um like, maybe me ask this question then instead what what are some of the what were some of the most important skills that you had to pick up along the way as a first-time entrepreneur, as someone that is more of an artist or more of a creative that, that you found most useful for you on the business side? Um, honestly, we hired a person that was way more responsible and adult-like than we were. Um, and she's been great. Like She helps us. And we're learning. I mean, we're still learning um, like how to the business parts of things are so bureaucratic and so intense and like you have to put so much into it but it's always worth it and it's been nice to you know have a team of people to like figure this all out together and our power structure is that like we're all working together like there's I mean I guess there's you know management and whatnot but at the end of the day like we're all in this together like it's an equal playing field and it's been really like a enriching experience to have like a dedicated team of people that like none of us knew what we were doing ever and so, like, figuring it out together has been a wonderful, like, team-building experience. And I think that we all feel like this is our baby, which, you know, for, it's obviously for the best because we all care about it a lot. And we've all put so much blood, sweat, and tears and happiness and, you know, paint. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I think uh, what you're saying about how none of you guys knew what you're doing is an important one. And one of my most favorite uh, posters I've seen says something to that effect that no one knows what they're doing either, right? It's kind of like a, a learning process through the entire thing. No one's born knowing exactly what steps to take to get where they, they need or they want to be. Uh, so you guys decided to hire somebody to, I guess, what, what role did they come in to fill? Like, if you can put, give them a title, what, what would it be? Um, right now, uh, operations. Um, but at the beginning, like we hired 
this girl, her name is Alicia. She's amazing. Um, but we kind of hired her because we were on the road. We bought a box truck with our Kickstarter money and we turned it into a neon traveling party house. We threw grilled cheese parties across the States for marketing reasons. Like billboards are boring. What's not boring? Grilled cheese and parties. So let's do that. Um, so while we were out of town for like four months, I believe, like we hired another friend of ours, like, can you just help like get out some orders? And she was just so great about like, what's happening here? Like, none of this makes sense. Like (laughs) you you guys, you're missing some key steps. And so, you know, she, she also has an arts degree. Like she's not a business person either, but she's just a little bit more, um, focused on the normal steps of how to, you know, invoice somebody, which is not something that we had ever thought about. So, so but she's one of us, you know, like it's not, we didn't hire a suit because of their past experience and responsibility. We hired somebody that we knew that was amazing. Like, uh, the most adult young person I knew <laughs> she's still with us and you know, she's great and she's helped a lot. But I think that even without her, the steps that had to have been taken, we would have had to figure out regardless. Mm. When she came in, do you remember what are some of the the things that she had to tidy up that she recognized like, wow, we have to get a hold of this situation immediately? I mean, a lot of it was logistics. It was just basic, like, guys, you have to ship this, like, on, you know, this date. Like, this is cheaper if you do it this way. I mean, it was all, I mean, she didn't know what she was doing either. So it was all like a learning process together, but she was like a really perfect candidate to head spirit and figuring it out. Mm, okay. Makes sense. So this, I want to talk about the Kickstarter campaign. Cause that sounds like what kicked things off for you guys. You ended up, I think you had two campaigns. Let's talk about the first one first. The goal was $48,000, $48,500. And, uh, you ended up raising, uh, uh broke through that almost $63,000 from, 2,416 backers. So uh, let's start with the goal. How did you guys decide the goal of 48,500? So most of it was going to production and also trade shows. We knew that we wanted to not just do e-commerce, but like actually get into a physical presence with, you know, gift, gift stores and gift buyers. There's so many everywhere. Um, And so trade shows are really expensive. So a lot of it went to that. Um, and then we had a little bit left over and that's when we were like, well, we should just buy a box truck. Why not? Um, which turned out for the best, but it, that's, if we had taken that to an investor rather than a crowdfunding platform, there's no way that they, they would have gotten behind us. Mm. Like, what, what is your strategy? Well, we're going to turn an old U-Haul into a, you know, party stage and take it on the road for four months and see what happens. Like that's not a sustainable plan in the eyes of a, a bank. And why do you why, why do you think it worked for Kickstarter? Then this kind of uh, you know I wouldn't say maybe it's probably the best way to say is not so serious approach to running a business. Like what, what, why do you think that people supported this? Uh, I guess philosophy. The thing about Kickstarter, first of all, like crowdfunding in general is a revolutionary platform. Like I truly believe that the world is a changed place and it keeps evolving in this direction post crowdfunding. Um, and I think that people really appreciate a genuine character and Mm -hmm. having Zach as the face of things was really nice because again, like he looks a little homeless, like he acts a little homeless. He's really relatable and very strange, but he's lovable at the end of the day. And, you know, just being able to see this random person on the internet and be like, I can support this like 20 bucks. Sure. Go follow your dreams. You strange little bearded man. Um, and I think that that really helps. Like they, there's also the rewards 
Um, so you are unofficially buying presents, which is nice. Whereas like an investor, you know, they would have interest, but you know, a Kickstarter backer, they get presents. So even if it fails miserably and we don't have a business, they still get their cool socks. Right. And one, one thing that's so interesting in your first campaign was that you had this lowest tier, which is you pledge $1 or more. And this made up over, I guess, half of the backers, right? You almost 1,400 backers pledged this $1 or more. Talk, talk to us about this. Like, what is it? Was it literally they could pledge a dollar or whatever they wanted? How, did, how was this set up? Oh, yeah. So that was something that we introduced later in the campaign. Because um, I think, and I'm not sure, uh, but I think that our lowest one other than that was like $20. Possibly it was something in that mm. region, and we just decided, you know, like the algorithms of Kickstarter, the the feeling of participation, and the feeling of like I'm part of this, like shouldn't be limited to anybody. And we kind of ate the cost and just sent freakers to everybody that you know had an extra dollar to spare, and it worked out great. Like we ended up doing it for our second campaign also, and we got this flood of like random people because there's all these coupon sites. And like weird, like discount, you know, apps. Um, and they started like picking up like for only a dollar, you can get blah, blah, blah. Um, so we got a flood of traffic. And if you look at just the numbers, it looks like we lost money on it, but that drove our algorithm up. So we got into the front page of Kickstarter because there was so much, you know, like even though they were only a dollar pledges, there were, you know, a wave of pledges. So we got bumped up to the popular list and that really helped our exposure. And, you know, at the end of the day, more people had freakers in their hands, which was our end goal in the first place. Mm, okay. So, like, you, you, you use this tier almost as, like, a way to generate virality, get this to go, get this to spread more. And, uh, of course, like you were saying, it paid off in the end because it, it helped you rank higher in on Kickstarter. That's an interesting approach. I haven't heard of that before, but it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, so after raising that, uh, well, after you broke the through the goal and raised uh, 62, almost $63,000, what did you guys do after that? Like, how did you guys, was it strictly just to buy that, that truck? Like, how did you guys use, use that, that money? Was it all for operations or what did you do with it? Oh, we used that money so fast. So we went to production. We got a full run of production, which was, you know, big chunk of the money went into production. We got a trade show booth. We started showing. Uh, and then the rest of it was into the box truck. And that's kind of been our, our it was our main marketing source there for a while. And it was like the only marketing source that we paid for. Because everything, I mean, in the world of social media, everything is free. And we really, really took advantage of that one. Um, but the box truck was great. And that was our way of, like, connecting with people and, like, breaking bread with, you know, hopefully customers. Uh, but if not, like, whatever. Like, just getting out into the world. That was our, our vehicle, both literally and figuratively. <laughs> Yeah, so you mentioned something a little bit earlier, uh, which was that you knew that you did not just want to do e-commerce. You wanted to go out into retail, and the way to do that was to go through these uh, trade shows. Uh, so first, uh, what made you uh, come up with that decision that it wasn't just going to be e-commerce, it had to be in physical stores? Yeah, so most of our business isn't online. Like I think like maybe 30%, maybe less than that, is from online sales. And most of our business is coming from trade shows, going into gift stores. Like we're, you can find our, our product in like 3000 boutiques in the U S like it's, it's relatively widespread, uh, after all these years. Um, but the internet is what made us exist. And if it hadn't have been for these platforms that we were born into just living in the age that we do, like we wouldn't, we wouldn't be here. So I don't think we could have started with trade shows. Like if we didn't have 
an online community and like building that up, like then everything else would have crumbled. Right. Makes sense. So when you go to these uh, trade shows, like you're saying, they can be very expensive. So of course you have to make sure you're using your time wisely. Any tips there when you're setting up at a trade show, especially if it's a product that that's a, you know, brand new launched product, how do you make sure you get the most use out of a trade show? Yeah. I've, been to enough trade shows at this point that I, I see a lot of like new brands coming in and you know just people following their creative instincts and a lot of times they'll like share a booth with a, another friend or something and like a lot of them walk the shows first to make sure that it's the right you know market for them um, you know just getting a feel I would definitely recommend walking the show before you know spending ten grand on a booth. Does that mean going to the trade show like the year before? Like, what do you what do you mean by walking the the, the show? Yeah, yeah. Go to the show as just a spectator before you you delve in head first. Because we've been to trade shows that aren't worth it. We've been to a lot that make our business you know fail for the next year. Uh, so just, just finding your target market and like again, we're in the gift industry, so it's a little bit more clear cut for us. But you know, we've started going to out door shows and sports shows and licensing shows and you know some of them are worth it and some of them are not and gift shows are where we thrive but you know it's different for everybody so I, I would I would talk to other people that are like similar that have similar businesses to what you're trying to do um I would if you can I would I would try to go to the show before you sign up for it and just see what kind of what kind of relationships are forged from each particular show because they're all different but they do help Mm-hmm. So when you go to when you're walking the show, when you're taking taking a look at it before investing in it, you're talking to other vendors that are already there. Like, how do you determine if it'll be a good fit or not? You know, talk, you would should talk to the showrunners also and see like get a list of buyers and then like look up their stores and see if they're you know who you want to sell to because you know early on we had to decide what we were going to sell to and what we were not and. Trying to make a brand is really, it can get kind of tricky because on one hand, you're like, yeah, you want to buy my stuff? Great. Give me all your money. Like, I don't care. Second, on the other hand, it's like, well, I'm a brand. Like, I have to protect, you know, I have to do things that are in line with the brand. Um, So we ended up actually making a knockoff of ourselves for people that were not on brand. Like, you know, CVS or, you know, some random box store is if when our boutiques see us in something like that, they get really mad. So we made up a knockoff brand and kind of made them a cheaper product. They're still all made in the USA, which is great because, um, you know, one day CVS called and said, we want Freakers. And I said, ooh, that might make some of our, our smaller independent mom and pop boutiques like, you know, unfortunately craven. So uh, it, knowing what your ideal market is is a good step. But it's also like you can also figure it out along the way. There are no rules to anything. Like That's part of the beauty of living in 2017 is that you can kind of make your own path. Like that's what we, we didn't follow any of the rules and we're still standing. So if that, if that gives hope to anybody, please grasp onto it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This is interesting approach where you already had a lot of uh, retail stores, a lot of boutiques that were carrying your product, carrying the, the, the true brand, uh, the true version, I guess, of your product. And now you had a much bigger uh, store come along, like CVS in your in your case, and they wanted the product as well. But you realize that I, I can't sell to CVS. The same thing that I'm selling to these boutiques because not only is it bad branding for the the customers because they're like, hey, wait a second, I thought I was buying, I thought this was a small, you know, kind of mom and pop shop sort of brand. Now it's in CVS. Talk to us about this process. Like, how did you know to not how did you know how to do this, but how do you 
begin to create a different version of that that same product to sell to a different uh, type of retailer? You, you know, things like CVS and um, I'm trying to think of other things that coveralls has been in. Like, let's just say like a Walmart as a blanket example. Um, they don't care as much about like brand recognition. Like it's not, they care about like just selling a ton of product and getting it out of their door, making a little bit of money, well, a lot of money because it's on a large scale, but you know, they, their margins are different. They have a different way of doing everything. And it felt weird um, going from a small mom and pop independent boutique to a Walmart situation. And it just didn't, it, it wasn't fluid. Um, and also of course, like the stores would get really mad. And since they are our main source of business and we love them and respect them, uh, we didn't want to taint that relationship. Um, but I mean, it, even, even going to like the technical, like logistics side of things, a like, bigger box stores want a way cheaper, 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 cheaper price than, you know, an independent boutique in a small town. Um, so it wouldn't have worked anyway with our current pricing. So we made our product thinner and smaller and like less branding, less went into the packaging. We just found ways to cut costs, but still have like a quality made in the USA product. Um, and we hocked it off on them. And so these big box retailers, they were, I'm assuming attracted to the product that you had because of the original true version of it. They weren't like, Hey, wait a second. We want the exact same thing you're selling to these boutiques. They didn't care about that. Cared a little bit, but at the end of the day, it was up to us whether like they they wouldn't have been able to buy a free credit at its normal price. Like too much goes into it production wise to mm-hmm. get down to like the price point that they're used to. Um, like it's just at the end of the day, it's too expensive of a product for what they're looking for. Um, and I, I think that they did want the original product, but they they couldn't have had it for the price that they were asking for. So we worked with them to find a good compromise in the middle. And it was a win-win because they got, you know, the thing that they wanted and we got, you know, a big account. And at the end of the day, like it wasn't made in China, which was really important to us. Like if we said, no, you can't buy freakers, um, have fun with the rest of your life. They would have just gone to a knockoff and, you know, manufactured overseas, which kind of defeats our whole purpose, <laughs> which, which is, you know, like local economy, local business, small independent, you know, makers and doers and creative and fun. And nah, nah, it's not gonna, the, if it was knockoffs were made in China and that's what got, st- took the business from these big accounts, like it would have been very antithetical to what mm-hmm. we're trying to Right. So you wanted to make it work. Um, so can one, I guess the high end product versus the, the mass market version, can they, can those two, I guess you can call them brands or sub brands. I'm not sure which one to call it, but can they help each other or do you try to keep them completely separate from each other? Like you never want to, a customer that is typically shopping at these boutiques to discover the, you know, the freaker brand at a CVS. Yeah, you know, when we first did this, this was a couple of years ago when we decided to do the knock ourselves off and I almost said knock ourselves up and knock ourselves off. Um, when we first decided to do this, I had a lot more um, icky, gross feelings about it. Like we're lying to our customers, our beloved mm-hmm. fan base. Uh, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized that they, our customers love us because it's a small business ideology. You know, they, they want to help their neighbors. They, they love you know, the silliness of the product, they, at at the end of the day, it's just helping small local economy, which is a lot of what we're, we're trying to push, um, through our marketing and helping other businesses and doing our our whole process is kind of focused around this made in America, small creative makers, let's push them up and onto another level and like have them be actual players in this gift market game. 
Um, so the more I thought about like the knocking ourselves off to sell the big box stores, the more I like really appreciated the psychology behind it that I hadn't really understood before, which is, you know, this is the same thing we're still making it in America. It's still like the same mill that's making it for these big box stores. It's still the same, like our money is being put into local economy, no matter how you look at it, whether the brand is stupid or not. So that helped me a lot. And I, I started to feel a lot more proud of the decision after I um, talked myself through like the actual economics of the situation. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, so I, I do want to talk now about that, that what you're saying earlier about how this is a product that people typically give for free. They get, you know, it's, you know, swag stuff we all get. Like these are things that businesses give us promotional material. Uh, how did you, how did you guys approach the, the market and message that this was not like those free promotional products. Like what kind of obstacles did you have to overcome uh, when you're trying to market a product that could be gone for free? Storytelling. I'm going to blame it all on storytelling and personality and brand. And, you know, when we launched our first Kickstarter, you weren't, well, first of all, the product is a little bit different. Like it's not neoprene, it's knit. It's like, you mm-hmm. know, all USA made, but whatever, like that's irrelevant. Uh, what is relevant is the the branding behind it, that there was a face to this product. It was just some like strange little group of people that were trying to do something different. Um, and I think people really connected with that. Uh, it, they saw it more as not necessarily an art product that they could, you know, that's on the consumer market, but, you know, th- there's these random people and they kind of represent you know, the original American dream of like, you can be anybody and figure it out. And I, I think that the story behind the product was more important than the product itself in the beginning. Um, and that evolved into a, you know, a full fledged brand and business. But I, I think that that sense of community and the sense of like personality and actual like humanity behind a product was our, our launch gate. I was gonna say that I think that's important that that people are you know buying, investing, supporting the the story that you're telling. Otherwise, they're just you become a, a commodity, and then they start comparing you to these to to free, which is a terrible place to be. And so, it's great that you guys recognize that and were able to to you know, tell the story behind it. Um, and, and you know, speaking of approaching the market, you mentioned that one of the the key. Uh, I guess um, you know places people buy or key reasons people buy things from you is is in the gifting market. Uh, how, how is the I guess the gifting market, the gifting demographic different than uh, I guess you know the non gifting demographic? You know, I'm not sure since I haven't had any other experience in business. I just know mm-hmm. who our who our people are, and I know that they're like very they get emails all the time that are just so funny, and I think that they realize that they're going to be talking to a a person rather than like a robot in India, not, well, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it sounds like your business makes, uh, your product makes a lot of sense for for the gifting kind of uh, market, the gifting, uh, I guess the, peop- the people that are shopping around for gifts. How do you approach your, your marketing? How do you make sure that you're, not just you're taking advantage of that, but you are making sure that you're positioning your your business in a way that, that taps into this, desire for people to give your product away as a gift? The gifting market is interesting. Um, everything we sell is under $20. And so that like that in itself is like, we're set up perfectly for the gift. Um, we have like over 400 designs and they range from things that are super weird. Like Tomcat Cruise is a really fun one. And it's this cat wearing a bomber jacket with a tooth in the middle of its face. Um, but then we also have, you know, colleges and NFL and just like plain ones and 
Um, Golden Goals is one of my favorites. It's a bunch of seagulls wearing old lady wigs. Uh, so we have like a bunch of like humorous things that are like really right for the gifting. Like, and we kind of like, we kind of focus our design process around like what would be a good gift. Like one of ours is called dad and it's just a, um, pair of underpants with hairy legs. Um, uh, but the, the marketing aspect of it is interesting. And there's like two things that I'd like to talk about with marketing, um, the power of being, genuine and who you actually are. And then also understanding the role as an entertainer. So it's 2017, like everything that you do that hits the light of day is marketing. Like the way that you dress, how you talk, what you talk about, the environment that you create for yourself. It's all about what you're putting out there for the public to judge you on, for lack of a better word. Like you're a living, breathing marketing machine. Once you accept that, and like it's not like a science, it's just being alive in this age. Um, it's a lot, it takes a lot of pressure off of you and your marketing strategies. Like we have been able to market ourselves as a brand and I don't have to adjust my language or attitude or humor to fit into somebody else's brand guidelines, which is really wonderful. So I just go into a manic spiral and voila, it's on brand. So if you can mold yourself into your own brand, you'll always be on point. And I think people really recognize what feels genuine and what feels real. And it's a, if you're just honest about who you are and, and pump it every day, like, really greatly into your marketing. Like I think people really appreciate it. And, um, for us in particular, most of us are inherently silly and kind of irreverent and we aren't big fans of rules. Uh, and I think that struck a chord in the climate of like a corporate blandness. Um, it sounds cliche, but it works as if you just, you do you. Um, but that also comes with one catch. Like, absolutely be yourself. It works way better than trying to, well, I saw this in a magazine and I think it works for them. So I'm going to try that too. Like it's not going to feel as good. Um, but also be yourself, but please realize that marketing isn't like a cubicle job. It's the job of an entertainer. Um, and I know a lot of people in marketing and they think of themselves as like a clerical or psychologically desk bound. Um, but, but it's an entertainer's job. Like you could be selling the most boring product in the world but it's your job. It's literally your job to make it fun. Like <laughs> I think that more marketers should learn from drag queens. Like RuPaul is the ultimate marketing genius. Like she sold men and dresses to the entire world and she makes a fortune off of having fun. Like she's a great time, but at the end of the day, she's hardcore business and anybody needing a marketing pep talk, just like go down a RuPaul spiral. <laughs> <laughs> We all have a lot to learn from the drag queen. I love that. So, you know, speaking of being an entertainer, I like like this approach where you're always entertaining. You're all, you should always be marketing, but don't feel that pressure of okay, I got to turn it on, I can turn it off. It should be a part of your DNA. I think is what you're getting at. Um, now, what are some ways that 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 Freaker USA, like as a company, makes sure to entertain your customers, your potential customers? How, how do you guys entertain them? So, I mean, let's just go down to like the very baseline basic um like say that you order a freaker off the website you go through you find something you like you um from the minute you press buy like the experience that you're gonna have is like our shipping confirmation like is really weird like all of our newsletter situation like when we send you your tracking numbers it's really like hey buttercup how you doing you're looking mighty fine like it's just like an unexpected retail experience and then when you get your package we have like these very strange boxes that tell you that you smell pretty uh and then you open it up and it's all gift wrapped and each one of them comes with a personalized love note depending on your order you're gonna (laughs) there's one that i really like one of our love notes is um 
it's a cat like jumping up in, in the air for joy with a litter box that has a little bit of pea shaped like a heart and it says you're in our hearts and I love it so much but I mean I can't imagine like I've, I've ordered a lot of packages off the internet and it's about 70 30 percent where 70 percent is just going to be you know a product in a cardboard box the other 30 percent like you know just a little bit of personalization or you know companies that make me feel a little bit special or like I'm supporting a real person and not just like an Amazon warehouse. Um, they always get my repeat business. So I've tried to learn from my own personal experience. I was like, well, what works on me? <laughs> I don't know. Like somebody being a little bit out of the box always works on me. So let's apply that to our own business and see how we can make people feel when they get our products. And so far it's been working. Like we get a lot of great feedback on like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, I love it, but what's yeah, happening? I, I like that. I like that. I think, I think uh, it's important that, that when you have these chances to interact or to to make a first impression on, on your customer, you don't you shouldn't necessarily always follow what you see other people doing, right? Because a lot of times you just get a plain, like you're saying, the like Amazon box. You open it up, and there's your product, and that's it. There's no kind of delightfulness to to getting it. There's no delightfulness to reordering it because you expect something new, expect a new surprise this time. And I think that that's a great way to encourage people to continue to support what you guys are doing. So I think that that's a, a an awesome idea. Um, and what about in terms of like um, content? Do you guys create a lot of content around the, the? I mean, it's kind of funny talking about koozies because it, it's you don't typically think of a, it, it being an entertaining thing. But like, what about like in terms of marketing or content uh, when you're maybe displaying ads or things like that? Do you guys find ways to entertain through that as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, after I get off of this call, I'm going to the grocery store to get a bunch of fruit and uh, glue googly eyes on it for a photo shoot. Like, <laughs> I mean, we, we try to, we, we started this business with the idea of having fun and sustaining a lifestyle where like other people that have a creative inkling can join our team. And, you know, we're not millionaires, so we can support ourselves. And we, we just, he, the main original goal was to be happy. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's transpired. And I think that we've attracted a lot of people who share the basic like foundational goal of just like, don't be a miserable situation. You know, I watch a lot of the office and <laughs> with, with Dunder Mifflin, I think about a lot and this environment. And I love that show so much, but it's also like a good guideline for what not to provide your employees with. So we, um, you know, obviously we, have a lot of fun here, and I, you know. Speaking of being authentic, I think one of the ways that it's shown through the most was in, I believe, uh, Zach's appearance on, or Zachary. I'm not sure what you guys call him. His appearance on, on a uh, on Shark Tank. Uh, so I actually do remember. I watch Shark Tank a lot, but not, I don't catch every episode. But I do kind of remember this episode a bit, and I went back to kind of read more about it. And his personality did shine through, and a lot of the investors liked him as a person, but. What what happened? Give us a give us so I kind of lay the what happened what what you guys are looking for. You wanted I think two hundred thousand dollars for for ten percent. Uh, I think you came in saying that you had three hundred fifty thousand dollars in sales, which is I think a lot more than most people that come on a Shark Tank looking for money. But what what ended up happening? We never really wanted an investment from them anyway. Like we we do stuff like that purely for marketing. Um, they had actually found us through Kickstarter, and they emailed us like two months after our Kickstarter ended in 2011. They're like, Hey, you want to come on this show? We won't have make you do like the actual application process. So you can just do it. We're like, "Mm, I don't know. That contract sounds really scary. (laughs) 
<laughs> like, I don't know. And then we thought about it and they called again like a year later. And so we were one year into business. They wanted us on there for entertainment value. And I, we weren't looking for investors that sounded antithetical to what we were trying to do, but the mm. marketing aspect of it was amazing. So we were only a year in, so we overvalued our company, went to them and just like had a great time. Uh, and that was, that did more for us than I think actually getting an investment would. Like we get a lot of recognition. Um, Zach gets like pulled over on the streets five years later. <laughs> like, wow. that weird guy, weren't you? Like, boop, boop, what's wrong with you? Like, you're great. Um, and that, that's kind of what we were going for is just, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, don't take yourself so seriously. You don't need this guy that's being mean to you in a suit to give you all this money to succeed. Like you, you're, you've, you're already a success. Like you are on national TV. It's free. It's great marketing. Um, and you're having fun. So that's all that really matters. Um, now I want to talk a little bit about actually to, to running the business itself, because you mentioned earlier that you guys are in 3000 boutiques and, and these big box retailers. How do you, how's this all managed? Like, how do you guys, what happens behind the scenes? I can't imagine you guys running around and trying to do all this craziness that, that you guys sound like you guys started with. How do you manage all of this today? We have an amazing team. Like we have a great, great, great team of, you know, like, <laughs> our, our sales manager, he lives in New York. Actually, he's the only one that's not in the office every day. And, you know, he is, he didn't graduate high school. He had been working at Radio Shack. He has never owned a computer before he was 32. Like just like not who you would expect to be a high level management and a relatively successful company. But the way that he can flirt with these old white women is magical. And like recognizing people's skills that are not in a traditional um, on paper resume kind of skills. Like, there's a lot of magic to personality and just like being yourself. And like, it works. It works. They love him. I, we all love him. Like it's great. So like the fact that he didn't know what an email was by the time he was 29, like it's irrelevant. Like he figured it out. He's, you know, hardworking. Like in, being motivated is way more important than having a built up resume. Like it's nobody cares. Like we hire people all the time that don't have, you know, like I barely even look at the resumes at this point. Like it's all just cover letters, personality and your motivation. Like it's 2017, like nobody needs to have gone to college for your communications major degree or your communications degree is almost irrelevant. Um, whether or not you can have a good, attitude and have a, a good work ethic is really all that matters and a lot of the businesses that I've seen that are popping up that are similar to ours. Definitely. And what about the, I think you said you had 400 designs or over 400 designs now on the, the site. How, how, do you, how do you guys manage that? Because it, it, do you guys carry inventory for all 400 designs? We did up until two weeks ago. Um, inventory management is not my favorite subject in the world because it is really hard. <laughs> it's so, so hard. When um, we finally, you know, after six years, we found a warehouse um, that has really just figured out the whole system. And we finally made the call and just gave it to them. So up until last month, we were housing hundreds of thousands of products in our warehouse. And it was a lot. Um, but I'm glad that we did it. I'm really happy that we had the experience and like we know the basics of what's happening in that world, like how to, how to basically manage it, what the problems are to look for, you know, it's all just logistics, which isn't the fun part of anything, but how did you guys do that transition then? Did you guys just like show up and dump all these, uh, 
uh, koozies at them. Like, how did the, how did you guys move <laughs> from you guys holding it to to working with a, a third party? You know, I like your story so much better than the reality that I almost just want to go. <laughs> Uh, no, it was a lot of planning and preparation and like actual like, you know, logistics that we had to figure out. But now that it's done, like we feel, a, you know, a, a lot more breathing room and we're able to get back to our, our, our basics and our, like what we started this company for and like, you know, like strange video shoots and like just doing what we love and having fun with it and being with our friends and making a career out of it somehow, some way, every day. Um, awesome. So we're back to that. So logistics is not the most exciting part, which is why like I personally feel like a big burden of inventory management hell lifted off the shoulders. Nice. So what do you guys want to focus on now? Like now that you don't have to do such a, a boring and complicated task, like how do you want to spend your time? Uh, your company, how does the company want to spend their time these days? Marketing. I, you know, I, I think we want to get back to our roots. Um, not that we ever truly left them. They just got muddled in like the actual uh, heaviness of, running a business every day, it's way more than we ever expected it to be, which is fine. It's great. It's, you know, labor of love. Um, but now that we have a little bit more free time without inventory management and shipments and, you know, these worldwide logistics, um, I think that we're going to do a lot more like strange initiatives. Like last year, we actually, for the last two years, we took a band on tour in our Blackstruck house and we did some strange things. Like they're, they're amazing. They're called Harmonica Lewinsky and actually, the sales manager I was talking about, he's a, he's a drummer. And so we'll, like, take him to some of our stores that, you know, sell well. Like, we have a couple surf stores that do really well. So we'll just, like, bring up the box truck and make grilled cheese for everybody. And So you guys still have this box truck. You guys haven't given up on, on this box truck. You guys still using it. We have not given up on the box truck. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, thanks so much for your time, Lauren. So Freaker USA again is the or freakerusa.com again is a website. Anywhere else that listeners can uh tune into to keep up with all the craziness going on over there? Yeah, bring it on. Like all the social media stuff. Like let's let's do let's do all of it. Um and box truck may be coming to a town near you. Let's break some bread, eat some yeah, cheese. Well, well, how do they uh how do they um see where the box truck's going? newsletter it's it's not boring i promise and we have weekly giveaways from other american-made companies this is one of my favorite parts about my job is that i get to like do a lot of research and find like these other makers and doers and people that are making things locally and um following their dreams and i do a weekly feature on a different company every week nice. um, yeah it's really great there's some amazing things out there that i would never would have realized if i hadn't have started delving down this path um, and a lot of people are doing a lot of things and it's really encouraging. Um, uh, it's a really beautiful time that we live in. Um, if you just look at entrepreneurial trends and whatnot, a lot of, a lot more people are breaking out of the traditional mold and just doing something different and it's working out really well. And I'm very proud of everybody. Awesome. So again, freakerusa.com. We'll link all of the, uh, social media stuff in the show notes. And yeah, again, thank you so much for your time, Lauren. Thanks. Here's a sneak peek of what's in store for the next Shopify Masters episode. You always need to try to make yourself redundant. So um, as, as an entrepreneur uh, in, in whatever you're doing. So like kind of early on, you, you um, for us, it was this journey, right? It was three of us. We're doing pretty much everything. Then we hired uh, someone, uh, for instance, for the kitchen or like to, <laughs> early on to, you know, just clean the floor and cut the vegetables. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.